What keeps you going? Where do you get your motivation? Whether you just want to be the best you can be or the best there ever was, we're here to keep you inspired. Conversations with today's top fitness influencers, coaches, athletes, and bodybuilding professionals. This is Inspired Fitness. Here's your host, Sean Futerer. Welcome to the Inspired Fitness Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Flexigenics. Every year, thousands of people undergo unnecessary joint and knee surgeries. Flexigenics was created to offer the very best in non-surgical solutions that allow you to get back to doing the activities you love. Before deciding on surgery, schedule a consultation and explore non-surgical options. I have personal experience with Flexigenics to treat osteoarthritis and tendon damage. I can confidently endorse their hyaluronic acid and PRP solutions. Welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Fitness Podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, IFBB Pro, Kimberly Helm, along with our very special guest, world-renowned obstacle course race athlete. You know him from NBC's Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge. He's the legendary Kevin Donahue. You can find Kevin on Instagram using at Kevin underscore Donahue underscore. That's K-E-V-I-N underscore D-O-N-O-G-H-U-E underscore. So hi, guys. How you doing? I feel like we need a crowd reaction when you say his name. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for all, all the kind words. Like, legendary? Man, that's a pretty big statement, so I appreciate it. Oh, man. The more I've looked into your background, the more I find it to be true. Just tell us a little bit about you, man. Who are you? Well, right now, I'm a guy whose house is being rented on Airbnb by a bunch of models who decided to do a photo shoot. And when I stopped down there to help them with the internet, I got pulled into a photo shoot where I'm standing in the water holding paddle boards with these beautiful models on there. So right now, I'm like a production assistant on a model shoot at my house that just all of a sudden impromptuly happened. So I'm having a great day. <laughs> How do we you get can't you go wrong with that? <laughs> I was like a PA at a model shoot at my house and I had no idea what was going to happen. Well, it's a hell of a good surprise. I just think I'm a regular guy who has been in the right place at the right time way too many times than I've ever deserved. And I've been blessed with a, a, a fantastic life that hasn't been without its trials and tribulations. But I've been able to take the, the gifts that God gave me and and hopefully I'm making the best out of them. I, I think that's the best way I could describe myself is just really, really blessed. And the timing's been very, very good. That's fantastic. It's a great way to look at life. So you've competed in over 230 obstacle course races. You have 192 podium finishes. You're on a quest to reach 200 podiums by the end of this year. So what's your path to 200 look like? That path has been getting up on a lot of Sundays where I'd raced the day before Felt like absolute dog crap, did not want to move, but had the discipline to pull myself out of bed, get my body moving and go. By doing that 50 to 60 times over the last decade, that's where the numbers have started to accumulate. You put in the time in the training, the discipline with nutrition, and then just having a passion for this sport and the people in the community. And it's just kind of led to this moment where it's coming to a crescendo where it hopefully, God willing, second day of Fenway Park in November, I'm, I'm able to achieve that goal if I stay healthy and everything goes right. Back to when Kevin was starting off in life, what initially caught your interest in all this? How did you get started with it? 
I was a football player in high school. I did very well. I was good enough to go to college, played a little semi-pro after that. I was always undersized. So I always kind of had to like be that guy that worked a little bit harder, that, that put a little extra. I never wanted to be that athlete that was brought down by people around me who didn't have the same passion as I did or discipline and were a little bit lazy. So I, I always kind of like wanted to excel more than everybody else around me. But you get to a point where football ends, right? So it's like, okay, what am I going to do next? I got into endurance sports, like triathlon, and then doing ultra marathons. And I was training because I was trying to be a professional skier. I was really into extreme skiing. And then I broke my jaw, got hurt. Saw a lot of people in that skiing world that were dying. Guys like Shane McConkie, you know, like people that I really looked up to that passed away in skiing accidents. And I'm like, you know what? I, I got to go chase something else. And then obstacle course racing, specifically Spartan Race, came around. And I was hooked because it kind of had that, you know, the, the adrenaline, the excitement of skiing, the camaraderie that I was missing from football, but then the total body fitness of everything that I loved doing as a kid, just playing, running around in the woods. So it just seemed like such a natural fit, and I fell in love with it. And as the sport grew, I, I grew with it. And as the TV shows came, and I was blessed with the opportunities to hop on things like that and kind of travel the world doing all these incredible stuff, it just the passion just kept being fed by all these incredible dynamics that I just never let go. And if, you know, you look back and it's 12 years later and you're approaching 200 and you've been around this and traveled the world. It's just been incredible. It's been a wild ride. You know, a ton of accomplishments over these 230 plus races, any particular one of them stand out to you? Is there one that you're most proud of? You look at the cumulative stuff of just being able to over the years, I think I'm most proud of just maintaining that discipline. There's been people that have been, I got to tell you, far better than I am. I can name you 50 right off the top of my head that are better than I am, easily. But people have come and gone. They've gone on these three to four year spurts, and then they've left. And they lost that passion. They lost that drive. They lost that discipline. The next shiny thing started getting dangled in their face, and, and then they went away. And they never kind of continue to complete the mission. And I think that what I'm most proud of is over, you know, over a decade, maintaining that focus, maintaining that discipline, like setting this long-term goal and never giving up on trying to achieve it. And I think that collectively was what I'm most proud of. Kim knows a lot about discipline, right? In her sport, any athlete, whatever sport, if you're not consistent and disciplined in your approach to your, to your trade, you're, you're never going to rise to an elite level. I'd go as far as to say that you've risen beyond an elite level with obstacle course racing with the amount of challenges you've taken on. So, And you attribute all that to discipline. Discipline, faith, but also it's passion. I just love it. You know, and part of the reason I love it is the people, the relationships you make, those relationships that you make, and then you get to experience all these incredible places with. Those relationships in these incredible places where then you suffer with these people. And then you get to take all that collective experience and all that fun and all that, all the things that made it hard. And you get to look back and be like, hey, we shared that together. So the camaraderie of this has also been a huge contributing factor to the longevity. Yeah, community makes a difference. I mean, you've got people who share that passion. Everybody feeds off of each other. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch. You're fresh off of a couple of events down in Nassau, the Bahamas, just this past weekend. How was the event? What was the community like there? The community was, it was great because what it was, it was actually for the kids world championships. 
and I'm young enough looking where I can hop right in there. I'm only five foot five. So I'm like, I fit right in with the 13 year old slipped out, you know, <laughs> got a couple wins. <laughs> what was great was they had, they had, because there was a kid's race, it added a couple of five Ks for the adults. So for all the parents that were going to be there who were like obstacle course racing lifers, whose kids are now competing in the world championship, had this outlet to go down there and compete. And then it was also for people like me who were like, hey, I want to go on a racecation. I want to do a destination race and, you know, shoot down to a beautiful tropical place. And, you know, you're at this resort. So once you're done racing, you get to hang out in Atlantis. And it was, it was fantastic. You know, like it's not every day that you could get done with your race and then go hang out at the pool and do water slides at a beautiful resort. Normally I'm like in New Jersey and like in some cow mud and, you know, hosing myself off right before I freeze to death. <laughs> Sounds fabulous. <laughs> Sean was mentioning in the bodybuilding world, and I was thinking when you were talking about staycation and the different places that you go, and one of the things that I wholly admit when I was competing a lot more frequently was that one of the things I would look at was where those where those competitions were located, and I would absolutely go, okay, you know, that that would be a fun place to go. <laughs> you know, so there was definitely motivation behind picking competitions on where are they located. Is it for us, you know, and I don't know if this crosses over into your world or not but for in the bodybuilding world you know you have a judging panel and you have certain things and there's also politics that come into play as well so where you pick it who's going to be there that kind of thing all has some influence on picking what competition do you, that you go to so when you're looking at the schedule of all the competitions that are out there because there are quite a many spartan races right there's a plethora of them mm -hmm. what all goes into it is it really just where have i not been or is there anything else that you look at yeah, it's, it's really different from your uh, the bodybuilding world to this because these are pretty much all objective results, right? right it doesn't right. matter who, what's going on. It's like, who's this, you know, what's your time at the end and where to place? Right. And that's who, you know, that's how you're judged is on an objective time. But everybody kind of has their niche as far as what they like to do in terms of the physical environment they're in. There's some people that love races at high elevation and they're straight up and down mountains. There's other people that love the flat races that were maybe more 800 or 1500 meter runners in college and stuff like that. So they love the flatter terrain. There's some people that just love the cold. There's some people that love the heat. So depending on what the ecosystem is at the race, the distance of the race and the time of year, all these things factor into like why an athlete may or may want to not want to go to a certain place. Over my career, I've enjoyed doing multiple different distances. And I think most Spartan athletes are like that at all these different places around the world because you want to see them. You want to see it. You want to test yourself in all these different environments. As time has gone on, I found my sweet spot with doing the stadiums, which is we run in like professional baseball stadiums, professional football, and college football stadiums. So I love those. And those are generally 5K or less. I love what's called the Spartan Sprints because those are 5K. Yep. And then every year I do a number of 10Ks, which is a Spartan Super. So it's more obstacles, a little bit more distance, but enough in my wheelhouse where I don't have to go out there and run like 60 miles a week to get ready for it. I've done the 21K Beast. I've actually done the 50K Ultra before. I don't prefer them as far as being an athlete. I like the shorter ones and variable terrain like give me some hills give me some flats i kind of like a mix and i love the stadiums and those are kind of my wheelhouse but you know, after 10 years you kind of figure out what you like so any desire whatsoever to do the spartan death race no actually that, that's not even a race it is just <laughs> a suck fest where they literally <laughs> try to make you quit yeah it's just horrible i mean it's horrible in a great way i say i say horrible it's like 
I have so much respect for the people that do it because the job of the people that are managing it is to make you quit. They're doing everything in their power to have you ring the bell and get the hell out of it. And the people that are able to last for whatever it is, like 72 hours or 90 hours and go through all that and not give up, they are absolute heroes in my world. But it's absolutely horrible. I have no desire to do something that's that grinding at this point in my life. So all respect to them, but not for me. Yeah. Have you heard about this race, Kim? I have. I've heard horror stories about it. I've heard, you know, and, and I'm kind of with Kevin in the ballpark on this as far as long distance is not, you know, it's nice to do every once in a while just to test the, to test the skills, but it's not my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm more of a short distance kind of person. But um, I am nowhere close to the accomplishments that that Kevin has on his on his resume for sure. Well, you know, to not to punch back on that, but it's like you know what, like everybody, you know, on this world, for example, the two hundred podiums that I'm, uh, God will, I'm, I hopefully achieve, right? I'm I'm gonna get it, but it's not gonna be easy. You know, I, I've done it differently than a lot of people have. Some of those podiums have been in the elite professional wave. Some of them have been, have been the elite masters over forty. I did 89 podiums in three years in that division, right? And then the rest of them have been in, once they change the dynamics, which happens every couple of years, they started across the board age group racing, like triathlon. So I was 43 and they did that. And I've been doing all age group, whether it was 40 to 44 or now 45 to 49 year old age groups. So the way people sometimes, depending on their, their attitude and how they view other people, They'll either say that's a tremendous accomplishment. Oh, what's up, man? I, I just got—I got a visit from some friends walking around the pond. I need—I need your services. My shower needs to be replaced. Call me. I did. Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Depending on what your what your goals are, those goals have to be for you. Yeah. Everybody's goals are specific and special to them. There's going to be people out there, and I've already heard it, that have been punching down and diminishing the accomplishments that I've had. Oh, you're not doing it at the complete elite level, right? And, you know, if you were doing this division, so-and-so would beat you. You wouldn't be there. But I don't care what they say because these are my goals. I'm playing within the system. I'm doing what I have to do. Kim's goals are different. So just because Kim has a different goal, she's gone all out to try to accomplish those. She's had discipline. She's gotten up on those mornings where she didn't want to and worked out. She has had to eat things on a daily basis that most people wouldn't want to and has gone to bed hungry week after week after week, day after day. So the, my accomplishments and my goals are mine and hers are no less important because she set her mind to something and she's going after it. We could get into this trap of weighing what somebody else's stuff is, what somebody else's accomplishments should be and start to measure yourself against them. And if you start doing that, you're always going to fall short because it's always going to be somebody that says, yeah, it's not good enough. You could have done more. The most important thing is what can I do most for myself? Set that goal, stick to it. And if you accomplish that goal, then you're a champion in your own right. And nobody should be able to weigh that against anybody else. Absolutely. A while back, there was a Joe Rogan episode where he had a guest who was talking about the fact that if you have haters, that's, a, that's great. But your haters are never going to be on the same level that you are. No. And you know what? If your haters are so interested in what you're doing, then they're a fan. That's right. Yeah, That's you're, just, exactly right. you're just an unruly fan because you're paying attention to what I'm doing. Good or bad, you're paying attention. So I must be doing something right. I love it. Fantastic. 
And positive energy attracts positive energy all day. You know, I mean, it's really, really and truly, I, I believe that wholly. Yeah, I mean, when you do that, you throw out positive energy, then your friends come by and they're like offering to help fix you with your plumbing problems. You know how it works. <laughs> perfect timing. It's perfect. In the world of, of obstacle course racing, right, this isn't something that you can just get up one day and decide that you're going to do and do well, right? I've done, I've done them, but I'll I've tell not you what, done them there, well. And not to cut you off, there, there's some people that just stepped into this, like a guy like Robert Killian. He was a very high-level triathlete. And he hopped into Spartan racing and within three months of him starting, he won the world championship. Yeah, but he so came into it this... as a triathlon, uh, as a triathlete. Yep. But there was a learning curve with the obstacles that he had to develop very fast. So in obstacle course racing, specifically the Spartan model, 90% of it is getting your feet from point A to point B faster than the next person. And then being able to navigate those obstacles more efficiently is about 10% of it. But if you are a high-level endurance athlete, you could step in right away and be not just good, but you could be dominant. Well, so for the average guy like me, what do we he need says to you're average. About? Oh, well, I'm not average, but I'm You're average. extraordinary. <laughs> he's, he, he's modest. He does a lot of incredible things, actually. Well, we won't talk about that stuff, but. What would it take for someone like me who doesn't do obstacle course racing on a regular to, to train, like to get ready to actually do one and, and do it well with the intent of trying to be on the podium? With the intent of trying to be on the podium is kind of a hard one because like you could work your, you can work your ass off for years and never even sniff one. So let's just say being adequate and being, being the best that you can going out there where you can perform at the highest level for yourself because you can never control what everybody else is doing around you. The most important thing is to get out there and get running, right? So you got to run. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to power hike. So being able to, I'd say, be able to run a 5K, 5K or a 10K at a level where you feel like I'm doing this the best that I've ever had in my life, right? So just for you, that might, for some people doing a 5K in 30 minutes might be the best they ever do. For them, that's awesome. For other people, it might be 15. Doing being able to do a 5K as best as you personally can do it. And then making sure that you're really working on your hanging strength. Being able to do a lot of bar work. I would start off with, if you want to be adequate at doing monkey bars, rope climbs, whether it's uh, obstacles like the beater, the twister, the bender, some of these things that you would see. If you go on the website, you would know what they are. Being able to hang for about 90 seconds would be a, I'd say, a minimum requirement to be able to be a threat to complete all the obstacles without failing. If you're able to do the best version of your own 5K, do a 90-second hang, and then practice the various different obstacles, you could go out there. And if, um, if you're already someone who's a competitive person in your 5K age group time, then you, I feel you could go out there and threaten for a podium, depending on the day. Yeah. There are certain days where you go out and, you know, not, there's not a whole lot of competition out there. You know, in the Northeast, we're pretty blessed with a lot of races, a lot of competition. So you might go out there one day and there's 10 people in your division. There might be 80 the next day. So it kind of depends on what day you're going as well. But to answer your question, practice your running, practice your hanging. If you can do those two things better than adequate, you got a shot. So Kim, from a training perspective, right? You talk about the, particularly the hanging, your, your grip strength, that's going to create some lactic acid buildup in, in your muscles. 
how should people address that? Like get through the get through the pain of that lactic acid buildup and build some I mean, endurance. It's like most most things with any of these sports is, you know, very much what Kevin referred to earlier as a disciplinary. It is a mental strength. It is a hang on as long as you can. So physically your body's screaming. Mentally, you're tougher than your body thinks it is, right? So it's one of those things where your lactic acid is building up. You feel like you're going to break. You know, you feel like everything's on fire and you want to let go. And 99.9% of the time, you can still hang on longer than you think you can if you can overcome it in a mental capacity. It doesn't mean that you can just jump right in the first time around and your mental strength will carry you through to a first place necessarily. There are genetically gifted people out there who are able to run in and do that, but it's like 2% of the time, right? It's very, very rare. Most of the time, it's about building, 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 building. And Kevin, you can let me, you know, correct me if I'm off on this at all, but it's one of those things where you go out there, you set yourself a goal. What's your personal goal? So if I'm running, like, let's say a 5K in 30 minutes, then I want to go hang for 90 seconds and I'm only able to hang on for 30, I'm going to shoot for 40 the next time I go hang. And then I'm going to shoot for 50. I'm going to keep going up until I get it. And it's one of those where it is a, I'm not going to give in just because I'm in pain. You have to get comfortable with the suffering. I think that's the biggest the biggest challenge that I've seen people have when training them for sports is that the mental part is overcoming the pain and suffering is is just not something that's normal for people. Results and progress come from discomfort, right? I imagine the same thing applies in your world, Kevin. It, it completely applies. And everything Kim said is just, it's right on point. I remember in the ultra marathon world, when I, when I dabbled in that for a little bit, some of the mental tricks that people would use to get through difficult stuff. They they wouldn't look at a 50-mile race as a 50-mile race. They said, I want to do one mile 50 times. You know, so you start getting to a point where you're dying. You just say, you know, one more mile, one more mile. For Kim hanging on the bar to get better, it might be just like tomorrow, three more seconds, three more seconds. You know, I'm just going to hang on for three more seconds. Because anybody could do that. Anybody could do that one little bit extra as long as they are able to just punch through that small little ceiling. And taking those small little jumps and taking those small little risks and suffering for just a little bit more. And when those things start adding up, they add up into huge gains. You know, to me, this is the thrill and the passion of competing. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give anything a go practically. You know, that's why I love competing. It's that challenge where you're taking yourself to a place that you've never been. And, and just because you're good at one sport doesn't mean that you're going to be good at other sports. So it doesn't always transfer. But the discipline part, that is a transferable skill. If you know, typically, if you have the discipline, you're able to utilize that in whatever application that you need to. And it's one of those things where I can be great, you know, like I might go run a 5K and do really well at it and feel really, really great about it. But then you throw some obstacles in and maybe it's not quite as easy, but you keep going at it. And it's that self-talk, I think, is really important where it's not a, gosh, you know, I was going to hold on to that bar for an extra 10 seconds today and I only got an extra three. Man, I might as well just quit. Like, I'm not going to get it. You know, it's one of those, all right. That's really frustrating. I was hoping I would do better, but, you know, dust off, get back up, get on to the next day, right? Yeah, I mean, positive self-talk is just as powerful as negative self-talk. Yeah. Even if you're joking and being self-deprecating about yourself, your, your body and sometimes your mind doesn't know the difference. And if you start convincing yourself that you can't do things, you're not going to be able to do them. But if you're able to constantly, positively reinforce the abilities that you have and positively reinforce the fact that you could do more, just a little bit more than what you did before. It has major effects, not only on your physiology, 
but on your, your mental aptitude to be able to build that strength and do it again and again and again. The people that could do really tough things all the time in life, and they make those tough things look easy, is because they have this foundation of, I've done this before. I know I could do this. I've suffered before. I felt worse than been able to conquer through that. And those are a lot of the things, on whether you're whether you're a plumber, or whether you're a construction worker, or whether you're a teacher or, or politician, or just somebody who's working out, having that kind of attitude is always going to make you better. That's great. That's a great way to look at it. If you focus on the positive, you get the positive. You focus on the negative, your body reacts, you get the negative. Very simple, very easy to remember. A lot of the times, there's nobody to watch this, right? I don't know if you watch Yellowstone, but there was a scene in you know, one of the seasons where they talk about cowboying and riding horses and like wrangling cattle. They were calling it an art without an audience. And like there was this one cowboy who's like, you know what, the best ride I ever had, nobody ever saw. It was like in a creek in the middle of nowhere, and nobody ever saw it but it was like the most fulfilling thing of their lives. And I think with us, with that training, it's kind of our art without an audience. Nobody's seeing us at five in the morning. Nobody's seeing us when we're out in the mountain. Nobody's seeing us when we're grinding and struggling and dying. But we take those moments and we remember them and nobody may ever know about it, but we take so much pride in that and it builds us up. So it's great to do these Spartan races and these obstacle course races and be rewarded at the end. But some of the most memorable moments I've had throughout my career, nobody even knows about. I've never shared. I probably never will. And they're just these personal things, these personal little victories that I've had that have made it incredibly special for me that I've been able to build on. I'm so glad that you talked about that because it's one of those things where, you know, in today's world with social media, it can be so misleading. You know, it's, it's everybody, you know, it's, it's so easy to post your victories. It's so easy to post workouts in the gym when you're not sweaty and, you know, you, everything goes flows perfectly and everything. And you don't typically see the grind that's behind the scenes. So I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah. And it, it touches on some kind of something else that I wanted to get into a little bit is, is when we talk about social media, we usually see the best pose with the best lighting or, you know, the best picture that or or video that they want to post, you'd never see kind of the 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 stuff that it takes to get there. And a lot of times the stuff that it takes to get there is failure. It's disappointment. It's these things that kind of have the potential to bring you down. And I'm sure the amount of time and effort that you put into this, Kevin, you've experienced some disappointments. You've failed at some things. How do you personally deal with that? How do you push yourself to get back up and to keep going? I'm a pretty spiritual guy. I try to take a couple moments before a race to like say a prayer. And what I always ask for is no matter whatever happens on that day, good or bad, that I just accept it as a gift because gifts come in so many different ways, shapes and forms. Sometimes the, the reward of that gift of something, you know, something can happen that's, that you think it's terrible. It's disappointing. You feel miserable about it, but then it's, it gives you rewards later on in life. And you don't know when that's going to be, but you have to trust it. Eventually it's going to happen. So I try to calm my mind and my emotions before a big event. And it's asking, Hey, listen, you know what? No matter what happens, just let me accept it as a gift, no matter what. And just keep me safe and let me be able to just accept it, whatever it is in the moment, good or bad. And I do that almost every time, almost every single race. Sometimes I forget, but it's very rare if I do. And that really does help me get through those moments of extreme disappointment because I can tell you every time I've failed, I, I can't explain every race I've won, but I can tell you every one that I've lost and felt miserable about. 
And as time's gone on and I've had this greater respect for just that kind of natural flow of life, that things don't always go your way. They're never going to go your way. The shit that goes wrong makes the things that go right even more that you can able to celebrate them even more because if things did not go bad, the victories would never feel as good. So you kind of have to allow yourself to go through all those different emotions. And it makes it, I wouldn't say easier, but it certainly makes the whole process more fulfilling. If that answers your question. Absolutely. Wonderful perspective. Disappointment oftentimes comes from things like injury. In your world, you're doing this so often. You've got to worry about injury and then you've got to worry about recovery. How do you yeah. tend to handle those two things? I've been pretty blessed throughout my career because I, you know, I was a football player. I wasn't a, I came into an endurance world where people that generally didn't have the, the sturdiness that I had. I came from this football powerlifting background and it just turned out I had an endurance acumen as well. So I've been lucky to stay healthy, but right now I am dealing, I got a Baker cyst in the back of my knee. It's been bugging me all year. I feel like on day two of races, I'm running with like a peg leg. I don't have much flexibility and, and it's hard. So it's a, uh, it's a lot of ice baths. It's a lot of castor oil wraps at night, you know, massaging in CBD whenever I could get it. And I've also been blessed enough to work with this company called Hulite that developed something called Bahi Therapy. And it's a mixture of red light therapy with hydrogen inhalation that really helps speed up recovery through better circulation and decreasing inflammation. So that has been a tremendous asset to my recovery. And without the basic little things of the castor oil in the ice, and then having the extra luxury of the Bahi therapy with the red light therapy and the hydrogen inhalation, those things combined, if I, I think of the only things that kind of kept the, the wheels on this year. And it's been a good year. I've had 15 races. I've won, I've won 14 of them. And one was silver. Um, so I've had I've had an outstanding year, right? A lot of it's fallen together, but without taking the time and putting in the effort to make sure that I'm taking care of those, those little things every single day, there's no way I'd still be going at this point. You've got another championship level race coming up in Belgium. Not, not long from now, right? Well, what's cool about Belgium is I'm actually the lead broadcaster for the OCR world championships. So it'll be role reversed. This guy's going to be on the mic. This guy's going to be asking the questions to all the incredible athletes from all around the world over there. So it That's is so going fun. to be incredible. Yeah. Very nice. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that. All right. So you'll be in Belgium. You'll be on the broadcast end. There's going to be thousands of athletes at, at this event. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing obstacle course race athletes today? I think the biggest challenge is that like for any sports that's up and coming is the the financial aspect of it, trying to be able to logistically get from point A to point B and making sure that you're still able to train when you have a full-time job, right? And then be able to travel to these bigger events, but uh, have the time to put in the training where you can do really well. You know, nobody's really getting paid out yet. Uh, there's very few athletes in this world that could say that they could do it as a full-time career. You can count them on one hand and probably have fingers left in this sport. So the financial aspect, we haven't found the sweet spot where the television ratings are high enough to support big corporate sponsors to come in and pay athletes salaries to be able to compete full time. So that's kind of the biggest thing. So it's finding that sweet spot, which what part of obstacle racing is there's so many different times. There's kinds that go on for days and there's some that last less than 30 seconds. So right now, 
my prediction is the ones that last the shortest, the most explosive ones that are 100 meters, that are a mix of that parkour, that are the mix of the gymnastics with the speed of a sprinter, with these high-flying, match-racing, high-excitement, high-risk, high-reward uh, races that are incredibly fast, that are really going to capture the heart, the minds, the spirit, and the attention of everybody around the world. I think that is going to be the foundation of the first kind of league of obstacle course racers that are financially supported. And I think what that will do is set a foundation where the, the endurance levels will have a little bit more support along the way. But it's to, to answer your question again, long story short, it's uh, the financial aspect is probably the hardest. Yeah. People, moms, dads, you know, they have families and they're trying to train full time and go out there and run. It's hard. Interesting take on it. I certainly would tend to agree, right? Any up and coming sport faces that, that challenge. There's such a mass of participation in this space, though, right? Like anybody can participate. You posted the other day about having competitive spirit, right, in everything that you do. What's your take on kind of just participation culture? Well, people got to start somewhere, right? So getting back to that point before about setting a goal, most people that do a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder or a Savage race or any kind of race in general, right? Or they're out and they're doing a 5K. For a large part of the population, just to be able to cross the finish line and set that goal is a huge victory for them. If they're setting their mind to something, and if it's just that participation medal at the end that they're like suffering through to get, I'm all about that. But then there's the other side of it where I was, I was broadcasting a ninja event, the Ninja World Cup in Orlando uh, about a month ago. And some lady comes up to me and she's like, Hey, when the board shows up and it shows, it says fail when they don't complete the course, could you change that wording and have it say like uh, non-completion? I'm like, no, I'm like, they failed. They didn't complete the course. That's a failure. And if they want to complete the course and not be a failure in completing that, they need to get better. I'm like, this is high level competition. I'm like, this isn't a participatory sport, right? If you fail, you fail. And if that fire inside you, if that pisses you off enough, that's going to make you burn to work harder so you don't fail, then that's the kick in the ass that you need. And if you don't have the heart and desire or the kick in the ass to become better than that, then go find something else. Yeah. So there's that fine line between goal setting and, and getting through something and setting a, re- a reward, you know, having a reward for something you did. And then there's a, the really competitive side of it that says, no, nah, if, if you don't complete it, you, you fail. Like you, you didn't complete the goal. You didn't complete the mission. You don't get a reward for that. You can learn from it. You can gain a lot from that, but you can't say it's not a failure because it is. You know, I bring up the bodybuilding world quite a bit because it's, it's just been with me for all my life and I know it so well. When you're talking about that, I'm thinking about there are so many athletes that are out there that at the amateur level, you know, they, they do all this work. They get into a competition, whether they do well or not. They do a couple competitions and they back off for their off season and they go kind of crazy on their nutrition. They kind of slack off a little bit on their training and they're like, that's all right. I'll pick it up. You know, I'll slack off for holidays, you know, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, and then I'll pick it back up again. And, you know, a lot of times what I've seen coaching people through this and as a competitor is that 
you can tell when people get mentally to a commitment level at a pro level. There's a distinguishing factor, which when you're talking about these competitions where, hey, this is not just a participatory race, this is at a more elite level, there are higher expectations. You have to be able to understand what failing means and be able to process that appropriately and get up and go. And it's the same thing like when we're looking at people who are distinguishing themselves from an amateur to a pro level, it's a can you stick with it year round? Are you committed enough to stick with it so that you're not behind by three months? Then you're trying to hurry up and catch up and prep for the next competition when everybody else is kind of gaining speed because they stuck with it all throughout throughout the year. So does that kind of work similarly in your world or what does that look like? The sport and obstacle course racing has a, there's a ton of camaraderie and there's a lot of respect that goes around. But then there's also a lot of people that just think because they train hard and they put in the effort that they deserve to go out there and get a podium. And I've literally been on the podium and I've gotten heckled by people. It's not fair. You get too much support. Like, what do you mean support? Like, you mean that, you know, every now and then the, the racers will pay for my flights because they want me to be at a certain venue. And you know why I got that? Because I busted my ass and I've shown talent and I've worked hard and I'm going to get a little support and I'm going to come out there and I'm going to kick your ass. And I don't care. But there's some people that think that because just they, they trained hard and they think that they deserve a medal, that means that it's just going to be handed to them. Right. And then they get pissed off when it doesn't happen. And I show up to races all the time and I see the looks on people's faces sometimes like, oh, fuck, I got to race this guy. And immediately, you know, you've beaten them because they've already they've already chucked it up in your head that, OK, he's going to be here. They're going to be there. And, and that's what it is. And they get upset. And it's like, you know what? I don't care. Like your feelings don't matter to me when it yeah. comes to competition. Well, I respect you. Of course. Do I respect for all the work you put in? Absolutely. We're all doing it. But just because you worked hard, doesn't mean I'm just going to like, Oh, Hey, here you go. You deserve a medal. No, no. You want it? Come take it. I saw. It wasn't long ago. We were talking to another pro bodybuilder, Tom Allen, where he had kind of a similar take. He explained that he would put himself in this mindset where he knew he was going to be on stage with these guys. If he didn't have the discipline in his nutrition or he didn't do the extra rep or whatever the case was, he knew he was being mentally defeated by the guys who were back in their own gym or their own kitchen doing exactly those things. It's, I think it's a fantastic mentality for an athlete to have. You have to have it to compete at an elite level. For the folks that, that think we're not being sensitive with, with this take on it, I'm sorry. Yeah, too bad. I mean, that mindset doesn't, it comes to a crescendo on race day or on competition day, whatever you're doing. But, that, you know, that starts at 5 a.m., yeah. you know, six months before a race. Yeah. When you're out there training your ass off, you know, like every meal that goes in, if it's not making you go faster, it's not helping you. So when you take months and months and months and you're dedicating every single day of every, you know, over the last 10 to 12 years, or however long you've been doing something, to be the absolute best, like you don't care how somebody else feels when you beat them. You don't yes. care at all. I care if I lose and I don't feel good about myself. Yeah. And that's what I care about. How do I make myself feel good for all the work that I put in? Doesn't right. mean you have to be disrespectful, but it's it's all about the competition first. You know, if I'm getting beat by somebody who's a better athlete and they they did it better, yeah. Good for them. Like that's, you know, they if they however they got there, you know, I have no problem with that. But I'm also look at that and go, all right, I know this person's gonna be there. Oh, Kevin, Kevin Donahue's gonna show up. Oh, I'm gonna give him a run for his money. Let's go, you know. And so you yeah. can use that as a motivating factor, right? Like you realistically, do you know if you're gonna be able to beat some of these people? It could be questionable, but that doesn't mean that you don't use that to empower yourself, 
I guess is what I mean. Here's what I just heard. I heard that Kim just challenged Kevin to a race, and it just so happens there's one here in Charlotte next year, April 6th and 7th. It's I'm a 5K. Being there. Challenge accepted. Let's do this. Let's go. How did you just had that at your fingertips just then? <laughs> I'm not saying All I right. How much time do I have? Hold on. All right. <laughs> April, got it. No, but seriously. Oh. So, Kevin, you hit a point a minute ago that I think is really important. You said if you're not putting – the right nutrition into your body to make you faster or stronger then you know you're not doing yourself any good what is your nutrition what does your diet look like i'm a very high protein very high fat eater so i'll take in generally like grams per body weight of protein a day i probably weigh about 148 150 pounds right now i probably say on every given day i fluctuate between 150 to 180 grams of protein i don't really count much i just kind of guesstimate a lot of fat, so I had a lot of olive oils, a lot of avocados, eat a lot of bacon, coconut oil, tons of eggs, things like that, but very low sugar. If I have 100 carbohydrates in a day, it's a lot. I mean, for me, that is a ton. I'm usually between 50 and 70 grams. I do not eat a lot of carbohydrates. I'm strictly a fat burner. The great thing about protein and fat is, you know, protein, you, you essential you know, amino acids. They're essential. It's called essential for a reason. You need them. You know, there's essential fats, you know, your omega-3s and your omega-6s. There are no essential carbohydrates at all. Granted, you can derive minerals and vitamins from them. They digest a lot more poorly than, than fats and proteins will. But there is no off switch for carbohydrates. And this is what a lot of people get in the, the trap of. They start eating carbs, and they can keep going and going and going. You know, you get me on a football red zone Sunday with seven hours of commercial-free football, and I could go elbow deep in a bowl of Skittles, throw down two pies of Domino's, have a Reuben, a couple bagels or cream cheese, and I'm just going all day. But if you eat a significant amount of protein and fat first, there's an off switch for that. Your body just turns off and it gets full. And that's it. And you will get energy from that as well. So not only will it help build muscle and support a overall health and wellness of your system with all the fats, but it will also give you energy when you need them as well. So i found that my strength goes through the roof when I eat like that, and I, I consistently do. My body fat goes way down. I have way more energy. And for an endurance athlete, you'd think, you know, it's like pasta parties the night before races. Uh-uh. It's like bacon and eggs, sausage. You know, that's what I'll have. And then I wake up the next day, and I feel like a rocket. There you go. It's not all that dissimilar from your world, is it, Kim? You know, it's it, it isn't. And it's one of those where, it, you know, it's – most of the time, and what we found with talking to a lot of these athletes is they either go one of two routes. It's either a, I do better with more carbs than fats, or I do better with fats than carbs. And Sean's heard me say this like a million times over since the, we've known each other for many years now. It is fascinating to me, the human body and how everybody's body works a little bit differently. And, and you have to play with it. Your environment has an impact on it. What your stress level is, what your sleep is, has an impact on how it processes food. You know, I think it's just absolutely fascinating. So I like to hear you talk about what works well with your body. So you're a high fat guy. So are you eating what, like two or three times a day or are you eating whenever you get hungry or how does that look? That's a great question. I have a window and it's only maybe a five or six hour window throughout the day that I eat. The rest of the time I'm fasting. Oh, wow. So okay. the, the sweet spot for intermittent fasting for most people is like 16 hours. If most people can get to 16 hours, 
they really reap the benefits of intermittent fasting because you kind of really hit it around like 13. So if you're able to push it to 16, you're, you're getting three hours where your body's cannibalizing its own fat tissues and energy source. Yeah, I've been consistently pushing 18 to 20 every single day. And I've become so accustomed to it. Not only does my body burn body fat as an energy source very efficiently now, you know, I don't eat until like 10 or 11 in the morning. I'm done sometimes by three or four o'clock in the afternoon. In that period of time, that's when I eat all my calories. Hmm. The other part of doing the intermittent fasting is not only for you know the energy part of it. As a 48-year-old athlete, it's the testosterone part of it as well. Right. If you go 13 to 15 hours of intermittent fasting, you're getting a 13% bump in your testosterone production. That is enormous. That is like a $400 pill every single day that people take for a testosterone boost, right? If you push it to like 24 hours, it's like a 20% boost. So every single time you go over 13 to 15 hours, as a man, your testosterone production is just going. You add that with the weight training, and that's where all these gains from, from all these small disciplinary biohack techniques. I am not a rich guy. I can't afford to go out there and, you know, if I had to and, you know, supplement testosterone. Even if I could, I probably wouldn't do it. So what are the things I can control? I can control my diet. I can control when do I eat and how much do I fast. And then the cold water plunges, again, really help with that. We don't have to get into the, the physiological benefits of that right now. But doing all these things that you could have control over have really helped me as an athlete maintain my muscle, my strength, my energy, my endurance, and my body fat percentage, which is probably at like 6% right now, six, six and a half. It's so low, but I feel like I have so much energy. I'm not starved out. I've been like this for like six months and I, I'm able to live in it. So also with your sleep pattern, do you get a lot of sleep or are you able to function off of very little with your energy levels? No, I'm six to eight hours every single night, sometimes a little bit more, sleep very well. Every now and then, you know, like your mind starts to get cluttered with a lot of things and you lose sleep just like any other human being. But sure. for the most part, I'm a pretty consistent average seven hours a night sleeper. Kevin, it also helps that I don't drink. That's oh, a that, huge one. That's a huge one. Huge. Huge, point. huge yeah. for health, health and fitness. I'm a fan. Everything that you're saying, I, you have a very clean approach when it comes to mental strength, the discipline, the eating part. I mean, of course, there is a reason why you have done well. You figured out what the secret is that works well for your body. And you're, you know, you're able, you've gotten so good at it now because you've been doing this so well. It's really, it's a pleasure to speak with you and understand what all went into that because it's very rare that you can get to your point. People don't usually stick with something for that long, right? It's, it's very hard to find somebody who's been in a sport over years and years and years. And I'm sure that the camaraderie at that level is really cool because the, those of yeah. you who have, you really have some really cool stories to tell from what it was like many, many years ago to what it's like now, I'm sure. Yeah. The simplicity really is in the discipline. Yeah. The discipline and the gratitude. Those yeah. two things really go together because not every time is things going to go the way you want them. And people could go into the tank, no matter how disciplined you are. So always having gratitude for whatever comes your way, the good with the bad, accepting it all as a gift, and then just allowing yourself to stay disciplined and true to the process, no matter what those results are, is what's really helped. It's it's not that hard. Well, excuse me, it's not complicated. It's simple. It's yes. difficult, yes. but it's achievable. Yep. Well, Kevin, 
man, absolutely inspiring accomplishments. Thanks for a great conversation today. I can't wait to see you and Kim race in April. In the meantime, <laughs> I we'll pulled uh, that punches. It's <laughs> in the meantime, we'll be cheering you on and watching for your 200 podium announcement. So yeah, yeah, more power to you. You're you're you know what you're you're doing great. You look like you're in the best shape of your life. You have a wonderful attitude, perspective. I love that you have a strong spiritual side as well. So it's it's been a pleasure. I mean, I could sit here and probably ask a million more questions because I think what you do is fascinating, and I love to hear other athletes and um, what their perspectives are. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Well, listen, it's been a flattering delight to be on your show because there, there's so many people that'll wake up today. And nobody will ever say hello to them. They'll wake up every day and nobody will even acknowledge your presence. To be honored to come on your show as someone who's inspiring two people who are so accomplished in their lives with the, with the, the privilege to, and the opportunity to come on and talk to you and you want to learn about me, that's like so flattering. So I really appreciate it. So thanks for having me as a guest. Yeah, we'd love to catch up with you again. Yeah. We'll be keeping track. Yeah, oh. for sure. There's going to be a lot of fun things to talk about. I gotta get oh. back to the house. Though. There's a bunch of models that might need some help on the paddle boards. <laughs> Go take care of that for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Join us again next time for the Inspired Fitness Podcast. Until then, we wish you a healthy mind, a healthy body, and healthy habits. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Inspired Fitness, leading you to a healthy mind, healthy body, and healthy habits. To stay inspired, visit us at inspiredfitness.net. That's I-N-S-P-I-R-D dot net. Until next time, stay inspired.